Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, fresh back with the LCI team from Freedom Fest 2022, which was held in Las Vegas, Nevada. Not only did we have a great week meeting people at our exhibitor booth, we actually got to attend some breakout sessions, the main sessions, meet some famous libertarians and some you know notorious ones. And uh, we also got to do a breakout session, which we called Faith Seeking Freedom, that, that should sound familiar. And the subtitle is Making the Christian Case for a Free Society. It was a panel discussion led by Matthew Bellis. Well, you know what? I don't need to tell you about this. You're just going to listen to the rest of the episode anyway. It was really, really engaging. It wasn't just, hey, we're going to hear from our panelists and hear them talk, and then later we'll do Q&A. We had Q&A roughly the whole time, and it was designed that way. So you kind of have to see how that works. So anyway, enjoy the episode. If you're just listening to this through you know, a podcast feed or whatever, you may want to watch this on YouTube because it's actually fun to, to see us there at the table. If you're able to, of course, don't do this if you're driving or something like that. But uh, check us out on YouTube and of course, subscribe there as well for all of our videos. All right. Well, one of our panelists is running to get their jacket. They felt the need to uh, make sure that they were at least properly dressed and presented for you all. Uh, and whenever he comes back in... We're all going to give him a big shame of an ooh. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll get started here. My name is Matthew Bellis. Welcome to Faith Seeking Freedom, Making the Christian Case for a Free Society. Uh, I'm one of the board members and contributors to uh, Libertarian Christian Institute. My pleasure to have you all here. Just so that you all know, you are being recorded right now as we speak. So if you don't want to uh, make yourself culpable to any federal crimes, please don't say them out loud. Thank you very much. We are going to start the meeting here off with a doxology. So if everybody would rise. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not do that. We won't do that. Uh, but I want to let you all know that if you have a phone call, you need to use the restroom, speak on the phone, smoke some weed, spank your child, please do that outside of the doors. We would really appreciate it. It's a libertarian uh, Christian institute anyhow. So, uh, you know. We're not going to suggest that you do, but, you know. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> thank you all for, uh, for getting the jokes. So I appreciate that. That's partially why we're here. So just to at least have a good time and uh, make that case for a free society. So feel free. Come on in. Take a seat. Really enjoy uh, the fact that you all are here. We are actually going to start off here with a little bit of fun. We're going to uh, do a little bit of a game here that uh, I want you guys to make sure that you can have fun with as well. So if everybody wouldn't mind, get out your devices. This QR code, feel free to scan that QR code. We're going to get a poll from everybody. Now, before you scan it, let me do this. We want to get some poll answers up for you all to see what you would think about this. If you don't have uh, this screen on your phone, then go ahead and uh, scan it again. Right up there is the QR code. We'd like to get some information. Oh, here he is. Everybody, one, two, three. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> he deeply enjoyed he made that. Us. So uh, we'd like you to do us a, a, a favor and uh, take a moment, rank these uh, issues in order of importance to you. Take a moment, take a look at those issues. If you uh, can't read them up here, they should be on your screen. Abortion, critical race theory, marriage and family issues, monetary policy, socialism and taxation. If you're able to see that, view that, Make sure that you're able to get that. If you need to come up here and uh, and do that as well, you can come up here. Don't feel shy. After you scan the QR code, we will ask for your testimony. So <laughs> thank you very much. That, that monetary policy, can I get an extra one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we get an extra one for monetary policy? Feel free. Keep going. Are you guys still uh, ranking? Still going? We see abortion as a top issue. Oh, just changed there. Family and uh, marriage and family issues have come up. Socialism has uh, is made. This is fun. This is like watching a, a very slow race. <laughs> Socialism in second place with critical race theory down and forth. Let's try to get critical race theory up to the top. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Is everybody done ranking? If you're not done, shout amen. All right. So we see here that uh, war and foreign intervention, uh, not on anybody's list here today. That's very interesting. But we do have abortion there at the top. 
Socialism and monetary policy, marriage and family. Oh, there it goes. It just changed. Marriage and family issues are up there as well. Monetary policy, thank you. War and foreign, okay. CRT at the bottom. Okay, very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, so now you know who you have in the, uh, the midst with you here. We've got a second poll here. It should change on your devices as you're going through there. If you haven't uh, been able to scan, it's still right up here on the top left. So quick question that we wanted to know from you all, regardless of whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, do you have concerns about the fallout of overturning Roe and Casey or President Biden's executive order on abortion rights? So take a moment, view that question. 78% says yes, no, we kept going down to 22%. Is anybody still answering? Yeah, we've got a couple. Couple, okay, 27. Fascinating. See, I love the fact that you can do this in real time because then you're like, who just did that? <laughs> Who's that guy? Okay, very interesting. 75%, overwhelming majority, I would say, still have uh, some concerns about what this all means in the future. Third and final question, why can't Christians be libertarians? And we want to only hear your wrong answers. <laughs> so we're not looking for the right answer. We want the wrong answer. Why can't Christians favorite. be libertarian? God is a tyrant because Ayn Rand said so. Uh, oh, Al oh, is my oh, own boy. Oh, there we go. Religion is violence because theocracy, bruh. Uh, Christians <laughs> bruh. want to control the culture through government. What do you guys think? Why can't Christians be libertarians? The most popular wrong answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll get more confusing as the time goes on. <laughs> All right, this is very fascinating here. I think uh, over the past couple of years, the idea of theocracy has become more of an issue, and uh, it's been very fascinating to see that. Ayn Rand said so, yeah. Uh, any objectivists in the house? No? Okay. <laughs> Uh, God is a tyrant. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, thank you all for uh, indulging us in that uh, in that little poll here. It's always fun to kind of see who we're uh, who we're working with and who we're dealing with. But thank you again all for being here. I do want to take a moment here to introduce our panelists here. They're a, a distinguished group of individuals. They are all a part of LCI. But the thing about the Libertarian Christian Institute is that it's made up of Christians from all different types and backgrounds. So we have people from all over the Christian spectrum contributing to the idea and fundamentals of what makes a free society. But on the panel here are all contributors to LCI, and I want to introduce them to you right now. On the far end here, if you would wave your hand, this is the CEO, and you might have heard his voice on the uh, Libertarian Christian podcast, and he is a uh, wonderful guy, really hard worker, Mr. Doug Stewart. Give him a hand. <laughs> He's good. He doesn't have to. So uh, next to Doug there is a uh, professor and economist, uh, political scientist and general editor of the Libertarian Christian Institute, and also a sinner saved by grace, Professor Aaron Sepulveda. Thank you very much. Next to Aaron is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> we asked. We asked, yeah. Digital marketing coordinator for LCI and host of the Dare to Think podcast, which is a uh, which is a competitor podcast. Please don't listen to it. Miss uh, <laughs> Carrie Baldwin, give her a hand, please. As you can tell, she takes a lot of heat from us. So, oh, yeah. And no, to my uh, right here, <laughs> uh, we have the founder of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a chemical engineer, and the only guy Doug will actually listen to, Dr. Norman Horn. <laughs> so let me ask you guys, who here is old enough to remember Donahue? Yes? Okay, oh, so hi. this yes. is the way it's going to work. Very uh, interactive very back and forth. I'm going to come out there, and instead of having a formal question and answer time, if you've got a question while one of our panelists is answering something, please feel free, raise a hand, I'll come over to you, and you can ask your question, and uh, we'll make sure that your uh, questions are answered here. But I want to take a moment, because part of what we do here at LCI is to also talk about human flourishing and the importance of human flourishing within our society. So, 
If I could start here with Doug down there on the end here. Doug, how much involvement is necessary by the government or the state in human flourishing? And while you're talking about that, tell us a little bit about what human flourishing means to LCI. Yeah, well, we're really interested in human flourishing because I think we all want to thrive. And I think we can all find ways to thrive individually. But what we've learned in the past several hundred years is that when you enable freedom, you enable human flourishing in a way that scales on a massive level. And so in order for us to thrive individually even more than we can on our own and to thrive together, we need human freedom. And, you know, among those things that thriving and human flourishing actually entails would be things like actual peace rather than just the absence of conflict, peace and cooperation among individuals, uh, which doesn't always come easy. And so, you know, when Jesus came, it was an interesting time when Caesar was telling everybody that he was Lord and Jesus came along and said, no, I'm Lord. And his message was the kingdom of God is near. And and what that means, you know, one of the things that that means is that he's basically saying, I'm not just going to tweak the state and make that sort of the way that we bring about human flourishing, but we're going to embody my way of life and my way of living in such a way that subverts actually what the state is doing. And so I think it's key to understand Jesus in his context because it's, it's very political. The message of Jesus is political. It has very significant political ramifications because to say Jesus is Lord is to unequivocally say Caesar is not. And so it's very subversive, and the state is a threat to human flourishing. Interesting. Dr. Norman Horn, uh, we see a lot of confusion, especially from right-leaning and left-leaning uh, Christians, about the, uh, the idea of politics and uh, the church's role in that. Why do you think there is so much back-and-forth confusion and overall malaise when it comes to that topic? Yeah, so overall, what I see is one of the primary problems in the church today with regards to how we even think about politics in the first place is that we don't really have a good set of background knowledge that kind of interfaces between our theology and then the basic sciences of things like economics and political theory behind that. And so as a result, we might have some very highly trained and excellent theologians out there who are right and say wonderful things. They preach great things and they do great things for the gospel. But if they don't understand economics very well, they may completely miss how a social order needs to be organized to optimize for human flourishing. And so we find that there's some pretty decent theologians out there who get really confused about socialism or some pretty decent theologians out there who get really into the idea that, well, the GOP is going to be the deciding factor of how the human flourishing is going to proceed in America. And so, you know, an interesting kind of corollary to that is that those of us who are really well-trained in economics and political theory don't always have really good theological training. And so that ends up, you know, we we have kind of the oddish problem here and even in the libertarian movement sometimes of where Ayn Rand's people, their voices are very, very loud, but us Christians, maybe we don't feel super confident about making our own case. So really what LCI is intended to do is to try and bridge that gap. We are here to help train everyone that we can in the church today to understand theology better, to understand economics better, to understand political theory better, and realize that libertarianism is the most consistent way to think about political thought from a Christian point of view. Actually, economics is one of those things that uh, is, I think, missed a lot of times from a uh, a regular church-going American. Dr. Aaron, no, excuse me, Professor Aaron Sepulveda, excuse (laughs) me. How important, though, is the idea of understanding economics from your basic uh, church-going member? The core issue is we have the cultural mandate to rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We cannot fulfill the cultural mandate, and we cannot rule over the property of God's creation unless we understand economics, how scarcity and how demand interact with each other. That's why it's so important that regular Christians understand economics. They understand inflation. That is a signal that we're not properly ruling over what God has given to us. So in the average, again, church-going member, there is at least 50% of us who are a part of the church. Uh, Carrie, as a woman, anyway, (laughs) 
We, we, I'm not going to stop this. I'm not going to stop it. If, if you watch our uh, good news, bad news, it's an it's an ongoing thing that we that yeah. we do here. But uh, what what are Christians missing today, Carrie, in the realm of women's rights? Yeah, well, I think that the American church, by and large, has been sucked into the false choice paradigm that we have between the left and the right. Historically, women's rights has either been a matter of husbands being the guarantor of women's rights or the state being the guarantor of women's rights. And neither is true. Both actually completely hijack the concept of human rights. And the libertarian principle of self-ownership, which goes hand in glove with the Christian principle or concept of self-stewardship, says that rights and responsibilities are inherent in mankind. They're given to us by no other human being. They're given to us by God. So we are the guarantors of our own rights, and we protect them through our own actions and through voluntary cooperation with others. So one of the things that the church has done is to not apply this consistently when it comes to women and children as well. So you see how we're kind of going on here, questions, answers. Feel free to ask a question. We've got one right up here, sir. We got Bray? Bray, tell us so I just want to ask a question. I know one of the things that Paul says multiple times in the epistles that he's a slave to Christ. So it kind of seems that Christianity, it's individualist in the sense of focusing on individual salvation, but Christianity is not freedom in the sense of libertine freedom. So how is um, the idea of servitude and, uh, in a sense, slavery to Christ willingly, how does that play into uh, the uh, Christian understanding of libertarianism? Yeah, I actually get that question a lot because a lot of people misunderstand libertarianism and libertinism uh, and the <laughs> idea that we can just be wild and free and, and marry our sisters, but we're not going to do that. So, uh, Doug, would you mind starting us off and uh, answering that? Would that yeah. be possible? Go ahead. Yeah, well, I heard, I think I heard also that you you want to deal with the self-ownership piece. Like, what does it mean to be a slave to Christ and in the respect to self-ownership? Is that also what you were asking? Yeah. yeah. So the way I would answer that in some ways is like when we talk about self-ownership, that has to do in relationship with other people. So it's not a statement of I own myself and God doesn't own me. It's who do I place my authority under? And you can't, you're not my authority. Norman is only my authority because he's my boss. And <laughs> but, but I entered into that. So, but God is the ultimate authority and God owns me in that sort of way. But in some ways, I feel like that's a category error. It's like, it's not quite the same as the property ownership argument that was made by Locke and some of those people. Norman, would you mind uh, adding into that as well? Yeah. So one kind of funny little corollary to this is that we sometimes talk about how self-ownership makes sense when we talk about human to other human. But what you literally just said, which sometimes is underappreciated even when, uh, by us Christian libertarians at times, is you said slavery to Christ, who we also say was fully man. So what do we mean by that? So I think, I think there's something really to be said for what Paul is describing with slavery in that instance is not the sense of some type of actual, he's not declaring a property right you know, in the sense of kind of, we'll call it the Kinsellian construction of rights, if you're familiar with Stefan Kinsella's work in particular. But it's more about, it, it is more about how we make a choice to allow God to have his authority over us, that we take his authority as being supreme, no matter what. And the best, and perhaps maybe it is the best analogy that at the time of that writing we could, we could come up with would have been the term of slavery. And so I think that's kind of interesting. I want to kind of Throw that little bit of nuance in there because yeah. uh, I think it's important to just realize that, like, you know, despite the fact that we are libertarians and we do not accept that just any human has the right to just do whatever over us, uh, that we still submit to God. Aaron, you wanted to add into that. Yeah. Um, the easiest way, I think, or more straightforward way to deal with this as Christian libertarians will be we have to differentiate between vices and crimes. Libertarian theory only deals with crimes and how to deal with crimes. It yes. says nothing about virtue and vices. Now, the best way to deal with this, something like, let's say, drug consumption or, I don't know, putting ketchup on tamales, which is horrible. <laughs> it is. It's still not a crime. <laughs> we talk a lot about food, be. just so you know. Yeah. There'll be tacos coming along in a couple of minutes. Okay? <laughs> I promise. Uh, now, there are some more serious than others, such as, let's say, homosexual acts. We have to treat them as if we were treating them, sounds going to sound kind of weird, as an apologetic issue. When I debate Mormons, I don't want to make Mormonism illegal. But I, I am going to be very outspoken that I think they're the wrong religion and then they're misrepresenting Christ. 
as much as I think there's a problem with acts of homosexuality, drug addiction, and whatever other topic that you guys can think of. That's why the topic of abortion is so heated because it's one of those topics that it doesn't seem... Oh, well, we're going to get to that at some and point. we're going to get there. Yeah. But if we differentiate between crimes and vices, as Christian libertarians, we can actually keep those. And we should be very outspoken on both, just saying, when it comes to vices, just don't let the state get involved. We will take care of that. Yeah. Stuart, you got a question here? Yeah, so I noticed on the uh, poll that we did that we had socialism as second, but critical race theory is down at sixth. Those are literally the same thing. <laughs> like, do you just think people don't understand how bad critical race theory will actually destroy the church? I mean, what are your thoughts? Doug, I think that's a good one for you. Yeah. Uh, I've spent, I don't know, about a year now doing what I can at, at a pace of understanding critical race theory. And it is explicitly anti-liberal. And by liberal in sort of the classical liberal framework of our society that we have now that actually works pretty well. It's explicitly against that. And so whether it's so closely tied to socialism, I think a lot of people can make that choice themselves. But it, it, is, it is a movement beyond just a, um, a legal theory that has deliberately taken over other, what's the word, fields of study. And the idea is to actually create activists. You might want to say that there's like a small grain of truth in what they have to say, but they're making it the whole thing and that that's the only lens that you have to see. I'm not going to say whether there is a small grain of truth or which one that is, but um, I, I can't imagine there's not one thing you can take away and say, oh, okay, yeah, I agree with you on if, if you talk to somebody. But yeah, it's, it's a major thing for the church as well, because not only is critical race theory sort of acting like a religion in so many ways, it's also very pernicious and anti-human. And so when you see church members really wanting to embrace critical race theory as just a tool, it's really disheartening because I don't think they understand that they're being the tool for critical race theorists. Ooh, goodness gracious. That was, a, that was almost a slam. Go ahead, Aaron. Okay. What my input will be in this case will be what critical race theory is doing right now is providing a social framework or ethos for society. Say when you were young and you were trying to find yourself not uncommon in the United States, Mexico, you guys might figure it out that I wasn't raised in the United States, um, probably, the, the usual way that was available in culture to understand that you have a problem of identity was usually looking up to some type of religion. And not even being specific about uh, Christianity, but you guys understand that the issue of being an ethos or a cultural background. Today, the solution is if you have some type of identity problem, therefore you should be, you should change your gender or you should change your body. So it just substituted the basic background in which we understand society. Instead of having Christianity as the basic background, as we understand, the anthropology of society was just switched from Christianity to gender identity or whatever other things that come along. So, yeah, it is a big issue. That's why I'm happy Doc has well, specialized on it. That's a really prescient point because, as I mean, I'm assuming that most of us here in this room are believers. And the more and more that our culture drifts away from kind of Christianity being the leaven of our society, some other religion is going to take up, come up and take that void. And so it is incumbent on us as believers to really step out there and fight a lot of this stuff. And I would, I would venture to get to argue this, that LCI is poised to really help do that. And we can really help enable you to, to kind of expand uh, your mind and your capabilities to do that. So that's, you know, pardon the advertising specifically for a second, but that's what we're here to do. Hey, everyone. If you're like me, you listen to a lot of podcasts by producers and creators who have a listener support model. Sometimes people call it the Patreon model, where they ask listeners to give them money to keep the podcast going because they want a list of supporters. And there's certain benefits to doing that. They offer you know free episodes ahead of time or bonus content and so forth. LCI has taken a different approach because we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We operate solely on the donations of those who are generous and love what we do. Now, we are totally appreciative of the fact that we have a growing audience and everybody's sharing our content. But if you'd like to be one of the people who donate to the Libertarian Christian Institute because we're a nonprofit, it's actually tax deductible. You can do that at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. You can donate in a number of ways, some of which incur fees for us and some of which do not. And you can either choose to pay those fees or not. However you want to do it, any small amount actually helps. We actually do encourage people to sign up for some sort of monthly contribution so that 
gives us a better sense of how things are going to go each month through the year. So even if it's as little as five, 10 bucks a month, that really helps us a lot. You know, that really adds up when more and more people do it. So we appreciate all of your support, whether it's sharing, liking, reviewing, and doing all that. But we, of course, appreciate an actual financial donation to the Libertarian Christian Institute. We've got a question back here, uh, Thomas, with a very Greek last name, sir. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you kind of both both topics, re- these two topics together, then the whole idea of crimes and vices and this notion of what critical theory is going to do in terms of replacing the religious, I will, moral foundation of what legal theory was in America in the past. Who determines what a crime is in a libertarian society? Can I answer that? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. The basic background is a crime is a violation of property rights in libertarian theory. So it, it does require restitution, not punishment per se. So compensation, if you wish. Now, the who, it's a private issue. That's a totally different issue. For example, in your house, who determines what is a vice? Smoking or, silly example again, eating... Too uh, much sugar. Eating too much sugar. That yeah. one, I like that one. <laughs> eating too much sugar. Well, in your I house... no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> we know, that, that's That's something private because in a libertarian social order, what you have is a private governance. No different than what you have in your, in your house. You determine those kind of issues because they're totally decentralized. Among many issues, it has to do with issues of epistemology or how we form knowledge. It has to be decentralized because it already is decentralized. Now, trying to centralize it goes against human nature. So the who, it's an independent issue of the what. Now, it's not easy. And because it's not easy, it has to be decentralized because we don't all share the same epistemology or, let's say, theory of knowledge. A quick follow-up here? So quick follow is just... If that's the case, then just in the case of murder, where is the property right? Uh, they invaded your uh, someone's body to the point of death, and yeah. the compensation is infinite. Go ahead, Karen. So this is where the principle of self-ownership comes in. The idea with self-ownership is that the highest property right is ownership in oneself. And so murder is a direct violation of self-ownership because you're using aggression to end a human life. Um, but really quick, though, because he did ask who. Are we giving this to a, an electorate body? Are we giving this to a king? Who, who, who are we giving that right to determine these crimes by? Well, <laughs> I think that that's really going to depend on, you know, if you take a minarchist, which is a, you know, very limited constitutional government sort of tact or an anarchist tact. But the, essentially, the, the, the answer to the question, who, which is what Aaron was trying to answer, is it's going to be very decentralized, whatever it looks like. It's either a limited government, so, you know, locality, or it's polycentric. There's a number of private organizations that offer the adjudication of disputes. Hmm. Well, we got a, a question over here by, uh, he's, he's, he doesn't want to let his first name known. Uh, it's only C. C? And that's because my first name is Clinton. And... That's oh, disgusting. No. All right, let's move on here to the next. Uh, <laughs> next, no, no, no. you don't need a mic. <laughs> That's okay. So, more just a thought. You guys are framing it, and it's an amazing intellectual mm-hmm. exercise. But it's actually faith versus religion. Or again, I don't remember first name, so I do apologize. It's not we're all believers. It's who's a follower. So yes, it's important to have that. We're libertarians, but I think the most important part is the first word you used, which was Christian. So are you a follower of Christ or not? Whose law is it? Who's in charge? I think the Bible's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Now, frankly, the Bible tells us, how can you profess to love a God you can't see if you can't love the brother that you do see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not about judgment. We don't have to agree. Right. I love you. It doesn't mean I have to like you. There, there is an element there that he's talking about in terms of a almost a theocratic state and talking about that. But Carrie, go ahead. Yeah, um, to your point, one thing that I've noticed with sort of statist Christians, we'll call them, is that on the right, statist Christians like to use the government in order to coerce obedience to the first greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
liberal Christians tend to use the state in order to coerce compliance to the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So from a Christian libertarian standpoint, we see both of those laws as being absolutely valid, but they're voluntary. We cannot coerce people into loving God, and we cannot coerce people into loving neighbor. Hence free will. Yes. We have a question back here. Hello. Um, I was raised, I'm an I'm old person, I'm an old person. From the time I was very young, I would hear the principle, you do not discuss religion or politics. Yeah. All right. Way out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. But, but, but we're with like-minded people in this place. And what I'm saying is we have become so sophisticated in this day and age where the more sophisticated you are, the more you actually are avoiding the subject, especially religion, even more than politics. So my question is, what is your recommendation in a grassroots level, the place where maybe we can make the most influence right in our own neighborhoods of how among neighbors that we don't know if they're believers or non or whatever, to even broach this subject? What is a comfortable, suggestive way that you have that we can bring this up? Actually, before you answer, I do want to ask this question. Who here has just been kind of socialized in America to say we don't discuss religion or politics? Yes? Yeah? yeah. Who actually abided by that? <laughs> no, but, but honestly, I, w- I would like to know. Have you? Yeah? Yeah? Just to kind of keep quiet? Yeah? I'll, I'll you know, in, in some instances, I've, I've kept my tongue. Yeah? Yeah, only I mean, Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Carrie, you I, were about I, to say something. Go ahead. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna oh, this. It's, just, it's just sort of a little joke. But often now as a conversation starter, somebody asked me, you know, well, what do you do with your nonprofit or something to that effect? Because that's what we are, you know, 501c3 nonprofit. I say, well, we have endeavored to make ourselves the world's worst conversational partners. <laughs> and, uh, and usually they go, well, what do you mean? And then you, and that kind of helps to sort of defray some of the you know, abrasiveness of what I might be about to talk to them about. So anyway, but I'll, I'll give it back to Carrie here. <laughs> so. so I love this question because one of the things that I do is I teach critical thinking courses. And I use the Socratic method. Not critical theory. Yeah, that's right. Not the same thing. (laughs) I use the Socratic method. And typically the Socratic method is used by people in an adversarial way. I use it as a way of teaching discovery, teaching how, how to learn something new. And so I have these conversations with people many times just by asking questions. But really, this has to come from a place of confidence in you. You have to be confident about what it is that you believe in when it comes to religion and politics. If you're comfortable with that, then it is easier to ask the questions and not get defensive. Mm -hmm. When you have the, the adversarial fighting, what you have is two people who are being very defensive, talking past one another, and it doesn't go anywhere. If at least one of you is confident and doesn't have to feel defensive, then you can have a conversation about tough topics. Uh, Is anybody familiar with the Socratic method, been taught by the Socratic method, only using questions? I find it's funny, though, that you can't explain the Socratic method using the Socratic method. I'm going to go here first, and then I'll come to you. Okay, Okay, so thank you. Um, So the professor really brought something to mind, the, the dominion issue. And that's a piece that I have really wanted to hear for a long time as a believer. Uh, I work in the legal field. And we're involved in uh, a pronoun case, if you will, of a professor who was fired from his job as a music teacher in Brownsburg, Indiana. He's now in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And the good news is that the latest Supreme Court case that came down is giving us some strength now. Coach Kennedy case is giving Mm -hmm. some strength Mm -hmm. to us, hopefully, in that case. Alliance Defending Freedom is the organization that's taken that on forward. I tell you that because in the quest for helping move the conversation in the, the parents and the schools have become part of my whole trajectory. I asked this question, what can we do to tie together the critical race theory, the critical theory issue, the cancel culture issue, and bring that home to the parents and the students who are in the government schools? Have you thought through that and do you have a strategy? Yeah, probably taking the whole idea of the woke culture and really pushing it to the forefront. What are your thoughts? I haven't thought through yet. Now, I quite literally live in a very, 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 very awesome situation for myself. 
South Texas, it's kind of like my home. I have a high social status, if you wish. Everybody knows me. <laughs> I never have to worry about pronouns or political correctness. My students don't like the idea of political correctness. That's why in South Texas, Democrats are losing. So in that sense, when it comes to the touchy culture topics, I have not been able to completely figure that out because the culture that I'm surrounded northern, I go back and forth, northern Mexico and South Texas. It's exactly the opposite of cancel culture. It's exactly the opposite of uh, anyone. If you guys know anybody from northern Mexico and, and South Texas, we know that it's exactly the, like people really don't care about those things. Yeah. 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 So, so the moral of the story is move to Texas. Move to Texas. <laughs> I, sometimes I have literally said that, but yeah, yeah. That, that is the goal. And, and, more and thank immigration, you for maybe? <laughs> yeah, more immigration. This is actually, <laughs> I, I do have to say, this is, I didn't want to say time, it, but this is a part of the time when I want to make sure everybody can fully understand Aaron. Everybody good? Okay, good. Just make sure. All right. So I love him. Wow. I love, it, it was a deep dive. I'm sorry. Carrie, go ahead. So critical race theory is a branch of critical theory, and critical theory is also what informs feminism, which has been around for, what, 50 years, at least in some sort of codified philosophical sense. And part of the thing about critical theory is, is that it's trying to get people to understand lived experience and how lived experience might impact the way we view the world. The problem with critical theory is that it's trying to put into sort of philosophical law, so to speak, what that lived experience is. And that's just something that we should be using to learn about one another, right? There's information there that is useful, right? Somebody's lived experience about how they have endured gender dysphoria might be useful to me in uh, relating to them as a Christian, just as a human being and, you know, how can I work with them? That doesn't mean it should get, that should rewrite natural law theory. It doesn't mean that it should rewrite political theory or rights theory or anything like that. But at the very least, we can have conversations, open conversations about lived experience, how that affects things so that we can get a clearer picture of a multifaceted issue. That's good. And actually interesting to think about that because that's, that CRT component speaks more on on lived experience. That's how you get people like a Justice Sotomayor, where, where, you know, she was touted as somebody that we needed to have a Latina woman on the Supreme Court. That's how we get uh, uh, Brown. What's her first name? Katanji. Uh, Katanji, thank you very much. You know, we have to have a black woman, you know. So it's that idea that those lived experiences are going to somehow make us wiser, but that's not necessarily... The case. Well, and women's activity in politics has always been based off of lived experience. In the industrial age, women were seen as the civilizing aspect of society. Men would go out into the greedy capitalistic world. And when they came home, they needed somebody to, to temper them, bring them back home, to ground them, and, and that sort of thing. So it's always been, I mean, that's what the alcohol prohibition was all about. It was about lived experience. Our men are coming home. They're getting drunk. This is producing problems in the home. We need to do something about that. The mistake is the we need to do something about it translates to we need the government to do something about there it. That's, to be a law. That's yeah. the mistake. Yeah. We got a question here, sir. Well, I was just reminded of a 60 Minutes piece about uh, Justice Sotomayor when she was a new justice. I think Scott Pelley was the uh, journalist. She said there is evil in the world. She was emphatic about that. And I have to agree with that. You know, there's evil in the world. My question is related to the use of the word perfect. I'm a Lyft driver in Kansas City. I'm actually running for office in the state of Kansas, statewide. Uh, But people use the word perfect all the time. You may have experienced this at a restaurant. Uh, Is that all you need? Oh, perfect. You know, Uh, I ask people, how's the temperature in the backseat? Oh, it's perfect. And so many young people just are so casual with that word perfect. And then those of us who are believers, we tend to believe that God is about the only thing that approaches perfection. I've gotten success in talking religion in my car by saying my religion is not perfect. I'm Catholic, and it certainly isn't a perfect church. And if it were perfect, when I joined it, it became imperfect. So I I would like your, your feedback on how prevalent the word perfect is and how we might be better Christians and better members of the society if we don't insist on perfection quite so much. Mm. So, Steve, how are we doing on our breakout? 
Uh, it's almost Perfect. approaching <laughs> perfection. Okay. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Great. <laughs> um, do you want to do you want to address that, or do you I think to... Norman should uh, actually address that issue? Yes, Norman. Oh, okay. It would be perfect. <laughs> it, would be, it would be perfect if I did. You know, I think it brings to mind a, a little anecdote, I suppose, from my graduate student years where my advisor very much just inculcated in us the sense of wanting to be as precise as possible about our, our, our in particular, it was our scientific studies. I'm a PhD scientist by trade. And so we were very deliberate in the language that we use, especially in our publications, to describe things like what we know versus what we don't know versus what we suspect versus what we conjecture and so on. And I think that that kind of subsequently just sort of inculcated in me this sense of just wanting to, wanting to be precise in my language as much as possible. And something I have, I have noted similarly to you is that whether it's the, just the up-and-coming generation or even just the way in which, frankly, the older generation, with respect, sir, uh, likes to talk about certain types of topics, that precision is not appreciated. And so I think that it, it really, I can't necessarily commentate on the use of the word perfect all the time, but what I can say is that we are very, very imperfect in our precise talk. And I would, I would commend it to anyone to you know, just become much more aware of the types of things that you say, the types of things that you repeat and the types of things that you try to communicate to other people in ways that they are that are imprecise. We got a question back here from David. I apologize for the voice. Got a little too much wind last night. <laughs> um, every time this conversation comes up with a friend or associate, I refer back to C.S. Lewis because he had the comment that good was there before evil ever showed up. Mm. And it's about bringing it full circle. Like mm. all the evil creates all the rules and the stipulations, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, can I just uh, speak to that for a second? So Romans 13 is the standard passage that talks about civil governance, but immediately preceding that is Romans 12. And at the end of Romans 12, it says, do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah, wonderful. We got a question here. Wait, wait, can, can, can I say something before? Okay, by the way, if some of the answers we have given you that are not fully robust for uh, what you were expecting, Please feel free to talk to us yep. at the booth and we can give a little bit of extension. I want to, for example, right now, a real quick extension of what uh, of his question. My recommendation, which just pops out of it, the way that we find identity, which is the problem that we have right now in society, is to create communities. The simple way when you go to Brownsville, Texas, and you want to see why people have so much identity, they don't have to be worrying about critical race theory, is because they have barbecue and carne asada every weekend with their family, in their extended family. And we can do that in potlucks in our, in our churches. That sense of community completely it provides the natural way to uh, identity to literally either uh, your family and even strangers that are welcome into church. So I hope that helps. Hi. Uh, yes, my name is Gene. I, I'm looking at the title and it says Faith Seeking Freedom. I'm wondering if I could just for a moment switch that and say Freedom Seeking Faith. And the reason I ask that, uh, uh, there's a great classic by J.C. Ryle, the, the great English writer, in his, and he has a whole chapter on freedom uh, in his book, Practical Religion. And he starts off unfolding how societies have flourished and prospered, like you shared earlier, being in a free society and understanding freedom. And those that didn't focus on that uh, struggled significantly. But then he comes full circle and he says, the true freedom is found in Christ. And that's where we really have to be pointing people. We have a hall out there filled with people and even booths to say atheists for freedom. And like back to your question for that, that young lady there who brought it up. I'd like to know like one thing from maybe each of you or one of you or two of you. How can we, you know, restore the church? Even the church is fighting internally. Yeah. So anyway, that's just my. Yeah. Any other J.C. So, Ryle fans? <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, so your, your point is very prescient. We are in this hall with a bunch of people who identify as liberty-loving individuals. And frankly, every single human being has that, you know, both a God-shaped hole in their heart and a liberty-shaped hole in their head, as I think that was one of Eric's little quips, uh, who's one of, our, <laughs> one of our people back there. And like, so, so we're, what we're trying to do on some level, even as LCI, is to connect with other libertarians who are not Christian 
and tell them the gospel. And in fact, one of the background pieces of our organization, like if you go to our mission page, it talks about, you know, the things that we're trying to do and all that. But the background of that, which we don't, we don't make this kind of front and center all the time because that's, that's just what organizations do, right? But what, we are primarily stewards of the gospel first. And so you will never, ever see us trying to betray that. And that has an effect on the libertarian movement. I can tell you, we don't, again, we don't publicize this all the time. But we get people who email us and say, like, hey, I was libertarian. I discovered your organization. I, I realized that I needed to, to make a change. I began going to church. I just wanted you to know that you guys were a part of that. And that's we love to see that. But that happens a way more often than I, I think than we publicize it all. So just to, as kind of a, you know, carry real quick that. Yeah, real quick. So my particular area of research has to do with women and children's rights. There are many women who have been disenchanted by politics, but there is also many women who have been disenchanted and hurt by the church. Yeah. I'm going to leave it there if you guys want to talk to me more about that. I would, I would love to. Yeah. I would yeah. absolutely love to. We've got this last question here uh, by a gentleman I don't think you want to get into a tussle with. So. <laughs> First, thanks. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. My question was along the same lines as the previous gentleman about kind of about free will. And so I, I kind of defined freedom as the lack of coercion. Mm -hmm. And considering that, what's the message to non-Christians who would basically hear the message that if I do not accept Jesus Christ, then the alternative is eternity in hell. And that seems like the ultimate kind of coercion. Coercion from God or coercion from Christians? Well, in some level, you could suggest that, that hell is actually a free choice as well. It's the choice of rejecting God for eternity. And that's just God honoring that choice, in fact. So, yeah, you're free to do that. That's, and I'm, I'm going to tell you now that that's not your purpose. And so you can, you can begin to, I think, with answers like that, be, begin to at least draw them into the conversation that it's not centered around whether or not there's a fiery furnace and you're going to burn, but rather, what is your purpose in life and how being part of the people of God actually is a more fulfilling state of being than where you were before. So it's kind of, let's try to take those questions or those types of statements that you're hearing from non-Christians, turn the angle on it just a little bit, and you, you can often make a bigger impact. Carrie? Well, there's also, I mean, on the spiritual side of that, right, the state in which we are in is condemned to hell. That's all of us. And Christ came to give us a way out to save us, right? There's still some voluntary action taken on our part to do that. There's still a choice involved. I mean, we fell into sin through a choice. The choice itself isn't the problem, right? It's what we are doing and responding to that choice. So uh, as far as Christians are concerned, Christians shouldn't be trying to coerce or strong arm the gospel because Christ does not. We've got about five minutes left. I did want to take a moment here because I do see and heard that uh, that you've had a number of, I'm sorry? Oh, well, uh, heard that uh, she's telling me three. Anyway, but we have had a, a diverse number of uh, believers and Christians here uh, who would come from a Catholic side. Okay, Protestants. Now we got to start weaning Baptists. <laughs> Presbyterians. Yeah, okay. Uh, Any just uh, your, your evangelical uh uh, middle of the road, yeah, okay, very interesting. Church Churches of Christ? of Christ, Church of Christ, anybody? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> wonderful. Episcopalians, Episcopalians, <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, it, it, with as many uh, answers that you're going to hear from, what's oh, that? Okay, LDS, LDS, okay, LDS, and uh, am I missing anybody? Lutherans, Lutherans. Orthodox, yeah, there we go. Okay, so with as many uh, different ways that uh, Christianity can be expressed, you're going to hear a number of different answers based out of this idea of freedom and liberty and flourishing and what that means. I mean, talk to a Calvinist about free will, and then I'll just go way down the, the, the rabbit hole. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> but I think you guys can at least start to appreciate that we as Christians and believers can come together on the basis of this fundamental idea of liberty, that our liberties come from God and not ourselves, and that is the basis by which we're able to flourish. And so I'm very thankful that there are so many different ideas, beliefs, understandings, and expressions of Christianity that we all might try to save each other, but we're trying 
trying to also live in a society where freedom and flourishing happens. I want to take this last few minutes, give the uh, a last word to our CEO, Doug. What do you have to say for us at the end here? I was uh, reading John 10.10. 10. The verse came to my mind where Jesus says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, uh, but I have come to give life abundantly. Now, I pretty sure Jesus wasn't thinking of Caesar when he said this, but if you want to compare the kingdom of God to the kingdom of the kingdoms of this world or the state, to steal, kill, and destroy is the operations that that's that's the mo of the state and authoritarian governments, even if they're established in something a little bit more reasonable. Um, but Jesus gives us life abundantly, and for us to seek freedom in Christ is the ultimate way to find freedom. But uh, on a social, horizontal level with other humans, that's what we need to pursue is that we, we can have eternal life starting now. Aaron, final word? Blessings to you all. Wonderful. Carrie, final word? I'll just say that when it comes to women's and children's rights, issues of abortion, abuse, things like that, absolutizing Fetal rights will absolutize women's rights. Mm. And we absolutely need that to happen because leaving these questions ambiguous means leaving the question of human rights hanging in the balance for two-thirds of humanity. That's theoretically untenable, and it opens up the opportunity for exploitation and tyrannical powers by the state. The time went so by, we didn't even get a chance to talk about abortion. Yeah. I tell you what, that is something that we would love to talk to you about. Please yeah. meet Please us at our booth. Please come to our booth. I'm thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Norman, your last word. Yeah, I just want to thank everybody for being here. It's wonderful to speak with fellow Christians about these topics. We invite you to come to our booth. We invite you to go, go away from our booth with one of our copies of our books. And if we, we really uh, just cherish your support, please get involved with us. We want you on board. Uh, and we're excited to see where the future will take us if all of you will get involved. Thanks so much. I did want to make sure that you all knew before you went, we do have copies of our book, Faith Seeking Freedom, available for you here. Our uh, gentleman, Eric, is right there. He can pass them out at the at the door. And we would love to give these out to you all. It's a fantastic resource. It's just a basic question and answer type of format. And I think it's uh, it'll be very helpful to you all. Before we go, can we give a big round of applause to our panel, please? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to let you know that LCI has another podcast called the Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast. It's a little bit different from what you're used to. And because it's very different, we don't want to keep it in this podcast feed. So you can actually go subscribe to the Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast wherever you get your podcast. The Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast is a podcast that is entirely question and answer. And because we've kept each episode short, we can actually release them more frequently. And you can actually listen to them in a shorter time frame. And you can even share them with friends or people that you want to spread the message of liberty. So check out and subscribe to the Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast.